Landon last night was appropriately an ode to Zion Williamson, and I think he arrived and delivered. We know about the fit. We've talked about that a lot. We can talk about later on uh, the guys that were picked uh, to play alongside him. But what did you think about him from his suit last night to uh, the very authentic sort of uh, uh, breakdown that he had? I think ESPN uh, loves to these teary-eyed moments. It drives me crazy. That one was authentic. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I, I didn't think that guy could endear himself to the national public any better than he has over the last nine months. But last night, just the authenticity, just having fun. He's going to the perfect city for those sorts of trades. I just felt like uh, it was his show last night, and he delivered. I really liked this suit. It was a bit similar to what LeBron ended up wearing when he was drafted. It was just double white, no tie, a bit loose, and it just really fit his frame and who Zion is. It just kind of said, yeah, I'm Zion. I know who I am. And that interview is probably my favorite interview I've seen of an NBA draftee right above when Mo Bamba was drafted because Bamba was so articulate and well-spoken. But just the raw emotion Zion's show just really resonated with me. I got a little teary-eyed watching him get choked up when he was talking about all his sacrifices his mom had to make. And that just really spoke to me as far as what a great guy he is. As you know, that sort of stuff does not always come across well or authentic to me. And, and that kid is special. And uh, I think New Orleans is going to go from an NBA afterthought to the next Oklahoma City. And we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, in a later podcast. He is going to single-handedly uh, revive basketball in that region. And I'm excited for it. Speaking of uh, places I'm excited uh, for basketball, Memphis. Obviously, Ja Morant was the pick. I didn't love the suit, but I really like the kid. He comes across as perfect for Memphis in the way Zion is perfect for New Orleans. Zion is laid back. He doesn't take himself too seriously. That's that region. Memphis is hardworking and underrated and actually enjoys being the underdog. And I feel like Ja Morant, with his size and his ability, and coming from low country South Carolina, not being even – ranked as a recruit, uh, here's the thing that Memphis is going to love about him. No one wanted him. M- Murray State discovered him. University of South Carolina, his home flagship uh, school in his state, they very late in the process offered him. He went to Murray State anyways. That is a Memphis move if there ever was one. Anybody who's ever spent any time in Memphis, they know that is the sort of thing that resonates with the, the character of the folks there. And I think He, as just as much as Zion, is the perfect fit for Memphis. Now, what what do you think? I 100% agree. He's a self-made man, and that's the kind of guy that the city of Memphis is going to rally around. A guy who had to work for everything he's ever gotten, who had to fight through the tough times, and now he's at the top. And I'm excited as we go through and we talk about some of their counterparts. Both of these teams, uh, I think, set both of these players up very well, already thinking about the right fits for them and being shrewd with uh, picking some players. Brandon Clark, I know you're high on. I think he is going to be a really good fit with Jaron Jackson Jr. and with Ja Morant. Now, uh, you had mentioned that before. Of course, we're going to like all these picks, and that's the thing about the draft. We see the potential in every single pick. But that being said, uh, I think both these franchises are heading in a really good place. I love it. Let's talk about number three. Uh, Really interesting, R.J. Barrett is that guy that you could see just being a multiple NBA All-Star 
and you could see him being Jeff Green. Last night I thought he acquitted himself really well because he is a very polished guy, comes from a very good family. You can tell all of these guys early just worked themselves. They took the talent they had and just worked themselves in this position. R.J. Barrett is no different. Uh, I think people are starting to come around to the counting stats that he had at Duke. Uh, he It was hard to pull off the stuff that he did. He was really an excellent uh, player. Um, the f- New York fans uh, seemed to boo everything, uh, but they were they were on board last night. What, what were your thoughts on just sort of his presence last night? I thought of all the big-time guys that were showing up to the green room, I thought he was the most professional of them, which makes sense. He's been getting groomed to be a top three pick and NBA star for a long time. His, his dad has made sure that Barrett was raised right. And I really like how he made sure to endear himself to New York fans. After he was done doing the media rounds, he actually went up into the stands and just started high-fiving the fans that showed up. And I thought, if a top three pick is going out into the stand and high-fiving his new fans, you got to respect that guy. I really like that, too, that they showed him way after he was picked, still just sort of working the concourse. And so uh, he's going to endear himself a lot to uh, to Nick fans. Now it don't matter. He can do all that he wants if he's not good. It's not going to matter. But I think he is immediately their best player. Is that right? Yeah, right now, before free agency, obviously. But there's really no one on that roster that you would take over Barrett regardless. So four we knew was going to be interesting, and it was. Uh, DeAndre Hunter goes to Atlanta. We're going to talk a little later, but the dust settled in this morning. Just looking at the draft, I was like, wow, Atlanta got reddish and Hunter. And they didn't give up, like, anything really significant. They had an extra pick. Uh, that they gave, they didn't sound like they gave up their own fir- future first to get there, um, and they gave up an, an early second. So, uh, you know, we talk about a lot. Really, a lot of these moves, whoever emerges with the best player usually wins. Uh, man, I thought they acquitted themselves really well. But let's talk about Hunter. Uh, I know you're really intrigued by this Hawks team. The fit, I see the logic, and it's okay. We've got a guy who's never going to be even an average defender in Trey Young. And we want to put really good defenders around him. And both of these guys have the potential to be just extremely good NBA defenders and very versatile defenders. Uh, what's the fit in your mind with Hunter and the Hawks? Well, with the trade of Torian Prince, which got them the 17th pick, which they help use to get to number four, they have a need to add a starting small forward. I think Hunter can step in and start right away. He can fit with Trey Young, Herder, John Collins, and whoever the big man is because... Like we've said before, he's just a very well-rounded prospect. He can shoot. He can defend multiple positions. He's unselfish. He's a very good team player, and that's what they need now that they have their star in Trey Young. Garland goes to Cleveland. Interesting fit there. Uh, Colin Sexton, he's about the same size, about the same frame. I thought he kind of finished strong, but there are some questions about him. But we've talked before about smaller point guards and how very few of them have immediately made a big impact is this a case of we just need to kind of let it play out maybe there are moves down the road or is this just a team that's not extraordinarily well run doing really curious things i think this is a case of taking the best player available like you said they just take garland they see if garland and sexton can maybe work be a discount damian lillard and cj mccollum or maybe both of them are at least decent and they trade one of them to get in assets to build around the better guy yeah i know people are throwing around the uh the Dame CJ McCollum thing, but I, you know, that always irks me because it's just so rare that that works out. Uh, I know teams aspire to that, but I don't really want to hear that about that. Although they could play on the same court and it could work out. 
And if they just didn't like Culver, I get it. Like, I'm always okay with it because if you don't like it, but it just seemed like Culver would have been uh, a smart play there. Darius Garland is – it's not like he even had Markel Fultz season at, in, at, at Dubs two years ago. I mean, the guy was hurt five games in. I really like his upside, but uh, it was a curious fit. But even as I say that, I know you can't go by need when you're picking fourth and you have basically needs everywhere. But you'll have to admit, it's a really curious situation moving forward. Speaking of Culver, he lands in Minnesota due to maybe the most curious trade of the night. Uh, Phoenix moved around all over the place. They dumped salary of a good player to take back salary of a guy who's going to be probably a free agent next year. Uh, But at the end of the day, Culver to Minnesota. I know it's a new front office. Culver is a high effort, high character guy with really good skills just aside from that he's a really good fit in minnesota they need a true point guard but the way the nba is moving uh i sort of obviously i like this fit if i'm a minnesota fan i'd be thrilled right i think so because with culver and robert covington you've got two in theory good to great perimeter defenders right now their point guards are jeff teague tyus jones and Derek rose none of them are really good defenders and culver and Covington alone can make your perimeter defense really good. And that's really been their downside because Andrew Wiggins is just pretty terrible all around. And Carl Anthony Towns can only do so much. At the end of the day, for Minnesota, they gave up Sarich and 11 for Culver. And you take that gamble every day, right? Yeah. you ha- I think you have to because any of the guys at 11 and Sarich, I don't know if they fi- if they give you the better potential as a team compared to Culver. There was a lot of love last night for Kobe White, who went seventh to Chicago, and I really like him as a player because he's tough, he's talented, I really liked watching him at North Carolina. But he was pushed up because of need. I saw him more as, like, top ten pick, maybe right at ten. That being said, they have a they have a big-time need. I like his mentality. I like his ability to kind of play in Chicago and how that's going to be around there. But this isn't a slam dunk for me, but I think this is – this is the play they had to make, right? Yeah, there's there's no other way they could do this. Chris Dunn isn't the answer at point guard. After Kobe White, there was a 17-pick drop-off until pick 24 with Ty Jerome. So it's either they trade back really far, they settle for a position they don't really need, or they have to reach a low for Kobe White. And obviously they went with White, which I think was probably the smartest decision. Jackson Hayes goes eighth to New Orleans, who traded four for eight. 17, 33, and a first-round protected pick that Atlanta owned from Cleveland, I believe in the Kyle Corver trade. Now, that pick, if it's not 11 through 30, which they've got to be praying that uh, Cleveland is good enough to be high in the lottery or even like 8th or ninth, and they get pushed out to like 11, because if New Orleans gets the 11th pick next year, just – because that would be incredible. But even conservatively, they're going to get what I would think are going to be two high second-round picks uh, in the next two years. And I think for the way they're going to build this team, if they're smart at all, they're going to do like some really good teams have done and just send guys, really smart scouts out all over the world to find value at 33. I think that is an art and a science. It's not luck. People say, oh, they got this guy, whatever. I think there are some teams, Golden State Warriors are one, 
that if you give them the 33rd pick in every draft, I think they would hit on it two out of three years uh, as far as finding a, a, a rotational player. And I would imagine the way they're building that front office in New Orleans, they're going to they're gonna look to do the same. That's why they're valued these picks so much. All that being said, they got a lot. I know I'm usually not on board uh, with trading down in the top five unless it's just a special situation. And this is going to come down to Jackson Hayes and how he develops. But even if he doesn't, you like the strategy, right? You like the philosophy here. Yeah, I really like the philosophy because you get your star in Zion Williamson, you've already got one in Drew Holiday, so you don't really need to swing for the fences at four and maybe get a third star. You can afford to trade back and get three role players this year and one or two more down the line. And with Jackson Hayes, this is the perfect guy that you want next to Zion because Zion's biggest flaw outside of his shooting is that he's just a smaller power forward. Hayes has the potential to be a really good rim protector, so he and Zion fit perfectly. And then when you throw in Lonzo Ball passing, this is starting to look like it could be Lob City 2.0. Yeah, the only drawback is if Hunter or Culver become perennial all-stars, right? It's going to be like, wow, you could have had. And we, we have to examine that, and that will be sort of the comparative that being said, Zion could always struggle to be overwhelmed by playing 30 minutes at center a night. And I think if Hayes develops at all, think Clint Capella, then that's going to make things easy for their biggest and most important asset. So I really like the frame of mind there, If even if I didn't love the pick. If it were me, I'd take the highest guy on my board. That being said, I'd, I can't really complain about a really good strategy to make uh, that, that starts and ends with their key player. And if they make those kind of decisions and they hit on most of them over the next seven years, I think we might see Zion in New Orleans for life. And that is obviously what I think any traditionalist, true fan of a small market team like you and I, that's what we ideally want. I thought it was really cool that Rui Hashimura became the first Japanese-born draft pick. And I think that's important for uh, the game. I, I can imagine the NBA was elated. Uh, they have done an excellent job over the last uh, two decades of developing the game in Asia, and it is a powerhouse over there. And they have Yao Ming, and they also have their own marketing and their own dedication to that market to think for. I think Rui uh, Hachimura is just going to further that along. And th- Washington has a lot of needs, and no more than at Power Forward. And I'm rooting for the kid. I like him. And you never know until they get out. He is ready to play, you would think. I really liked watching him. Um, and I think he's going to be known in this draft for Chauncey Billups, who's been criticized. But I think overall did a nice job last night just because people talked about his comparisons. He compares Hachimura to a, quote, young Kawhi Leonard. But like I told you last night, I think they forced him to do that. I think they forced him to, to just say obvious names because that just seems like the way ESPN does. All that being said... What do you think the fit is for Washington, and did you consider him a reach at nine? I feel he's a bit of a reach. I think I would have been a lot more comfortable if he had went in the mid-teens compared to ninth. But I understand the reasoning in that. He's a lot safer than some of the high-upside boomer bust guys like Cam Reddish or Doomboya that we commonly mock to them. Like you said, he can start right away. He's got a polished offensive game, even though it's really mid-range focused. He's got the athletic frame and potential to be able to stay on the court versus NBA players right away. My only issue with him is his lack of defensive ability right now, but he's only been playing for a couple of years and he's developed each and every year, so there's room to think that he'll get better as he develops. 
Yeah, I believe he's uh, been playing the sport for six years, so that's impressive, and I do like his upside. I would think he came down for Washington between Cam Reddish and Hachimura, and I think the things you're talking about, him as a plug-and-play guy, a little more physically and just like by age mature, I just think he was more of a sure thing, even if he has a lower ceiling for what Washington and just what's going on with that program over the last few years. I just think they, they took the safer pick. Cam Reddish does go 10th. And maybe the most impressive part about this top 10 is that Atlanta traded up to four, kept the 10th pick without giving out a big-time future asset. How impressed were you with Atlanta's front office for pulling that off? I was pretty impressed because, as I've said in this podcast several times, I really thought 8 and 10 was what would be needed to move up to four. But obviously, 17 along with 35 was enough for New Orleans. And especially with Reddish falling to 10 because there were reports that they also really liked Reddish. There were reports when they traded up to four that it was either Hunter or Reddish. And they actually got both of these guys. So outside New Orleans, I think Atlanta probably had the best draft just because they got their two favorite guys at two positions they could really use talent. I think it's close, but Atlanta did have, I think, the better draft. Although New Orleans, as we've talked about, and I think is a little overlooked, even if a lot of these guys from the Lakers wind up playing well for them. They don't have a lot of guys. Uh, they don't have some guys sitting around that were two-way players that are kind of ready to jump in. They just, they just, their previous front office just not did not develop really anybody. So I think that was the thing with Griffin. I got to give him credit. Thirty-three in this draft was important for him. And although it may be a guy that may not come over, eventually it's a guy that's going to be useful for them, and they're going to need numbers. And so, uh, and they liked Walker. At 17, we'll talk about him on the next podcast, but I think they both did a good job. But when you think about without giving up future really material assets and getting, like you said, the, probably the two guys they wanted from this draft that they thought they could get, very impressed with Atlanta. I thought it was really curious last summer, but you see the plan coming together. They're going to put defenders and length and athleticism around Trey Young, and I don't know what their ceiling is. If it's 2007 Phoenix Suns, ceiling or uh, the Golden State Warriors. I don't know what their ceiling is, but it will be fun to watch. We're going to be back with you very soon. We'll do picks 11 through 20. Talk to you soon.